Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture today uh, is probably a familiar passage this time of year uh, from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse uh, 26. This is often referred to as the Annunciation. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of, his, of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. Nothing is impossible for God. Lord, would you instill those words in our, our minds and our hearts today? Uh, may they become for us uh, a rallying cry of faith that even when things are messy, even when things are uncertain, even when things are difficult, we know in our heart of hearts that nothing is impossible for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you know the things I'm going to share here for just a moment, but just to kind of bring it all together. Um, October 7th this year, Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, approximately 3,000 Hamas militants breached the Gaza-Israeli border, attacking military bases and residential communities, leaving about 146 Israeli civilians, citizens, dead, as well as 324 soldiers and police. Plus or minus 240 additional were taken as hostages, the elderly, men and women of every age, and even small children. Some have been released, many have not. There are increasingly stories about during that attack, numerous incidents of sexual assault, sexual violence against women and men. We just sang a song that said that Bethlehem is not far away. 
when the violence occurred, it struck me how close the proximity was to Bethlehem, less than an hour's drive from most of the attacks, the place of the birth of our Savior. Of course, immediately Israel responded to violence with violence is what usually happens in the world. Violence has a tendency to escalate and be reciprocated. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rockets have been fired and thousands upon thousands upon thousands have died. There is a raging humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Of course, while that's been going on, the news has shifted, of course, to to Israel and Gaza. The war in Ukraine has continued. A civil war in Sudan that barely ever seems to get mentioned. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands have died and are displaced. Homes have been destroyed. Communities have been destroyed. Cultures are being destroyed. This week, back at home, our Congress has been debating a $113 billion. That's billion with a B. Can anyone fathom what a billion dollars is, much less 13? 13 billion dollars to support our support of the war in Israel, the war in Ukraine and other places, the purchase of bombs and tanks and submarines and airplanes and so forth. Also this week in Congress, FBI Director Christopher Wray reported that we have never had so many elevated threat possibilities in the United States on our soil since 9-11. And he said when asked, like, where do you see the flashing lights? His response was, everywhere I look. Everywhere I look. As 2023 comes to an end, this will be the year that we break the record for gun violence in the United States. There have been 630 plus mass murders this year, leaving nearly 40,000 people dead to gun violence. All of these, of course, are examples of power, abusive power, the abuse of power and might, the power of money, the power of the political majority, the force of our military, the possibility of power of physical dominance, the might to inflict terror. And all of it, of course, is motivated by fear or anger or a need to retaliate or a need to win and dominate, to advance particular causes or agendas or to seek retribution or to do harm to those you hate or simply to arouse fear. Power, I just want to make this very clear from the beginning, power is not evil. Power is neutral. Power can be an incredible gift to the world when used properly, right? Might can be a good thing when it's used to influence what is good for all. But like all good gifts, it can be used to do incredible harm. So I think it's worth asking today on the second Sunday of Advent, how do we have the audacity to light a candle for peace when the world is so full of violence? How do we have the audacity to claim that the Jesus whose birth we are preparing for and celebrating is 
the prince of peace when there seems to be so little peace. Our theme for this Advent season is Messiah. We'll keep talking more about the meaning of the word Messiah. We're drawing heavily this season from uh, just a brief passage in Isaiah chapter 9 uh, that calls Jesus by a number of titles, the coming Messiah by a number of titles. It says, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulder, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we talked about what it means to say that Jesus as our Messiah is our Wonderful Counselor. But today we're focusing on the second. What does it mean to say that Jesus, our Messiah, is the mighty God? Mighty God. To say that God is mighty isn't a big theological stretch, is it? I mean, that's probably the first thing we think of with God, is that God is powerful. God is mighty, If we believe that God created the entire universe, it's not hard to say that God is mighty. If we believe that God is bigger than the three trillion galaxies in our universe, it's not hard to say that God is mighty. To claim that Jesus was raised from the dead by God, that God can raise us from the dead when we die, that certainly must be a powerful God. It says in Psalm 98, as it does in many places, uh, that God is powerful. The Lord reigns. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, the Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. That was what they used to think was the most powerful thing. You know, the, you go out on the ocean, the big waves and the storm. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. The theological term that we use for the power of God, the might of God, is omnipotence. Omni meaning everything, all potent, right? Meaning powerful, omnipotent, omnipotent. God is all powerful. There is no limit. There is no restriction to God's power apart from the way God might limit God's self. Nothing else can limit God's power. No government, no terrorist organization, no amount of money, no invading army, no rockets, no arsenal of weapons, no terrorist threat, no disease, no pandemic, no natural disaster can hinder the power of God. God's power is greater because God created power. God is a mighty God. But what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus the human. Jesus born in weakness and poverty and seeming insecure, insignificance and obscurity. Dying later a humiliating death. How do we say that this man was and is the mighty God? That requires a different kind of theological leap. During Advent, when we think about the birth of Jesus, 
Calling the baby Jesus, the mighty God, is a significant theological claim. And that is exactly the claim we make as Christians. During the, during the season of Advent, we claim, proclaim, a belief that God became one with humanity. That God entered weak, vulnerable, powerless, mortal, infant flesh. Philip Yancey says, God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin, the ominous restraints of mortality. The creator of the heavens and earth became the created. The mighty God became a helpless, dependent infant. infant. The omnipotent became powerless. The God who is greater, bigger than all things became very, very small. I, I tend to try to avoid, I fall into the trap occasionally, but I try to avoid what we call anthropomorphic images of God. God is not a big man in the sky somewhere, right? That's, that's not who God is. It's kind of an old idea, old-fashioned idea. I try to avoid that, but let's do it today, okay? Let's make an exception today. I want you to imagine that God is so great, so mighty, that God holds in God's hands the entirety of the universe. And that God, who holds all things that exist together, sunk into infant flesh, who was held in the arms of new, young parents. Have you ever held an infant, a brand new infant? Just a few pounds? not strong enough to raise its head, not strong enough or coordinated enough to, to roll over, utterly dependent, so fragile. That's what we're claiming. That the God who holds the universe in God's hands was held in the arms of a very young Mary. Pope Benedict XVI once said, the theology of littleness, I love that, the theology of littleness is a basic category of Christianity. After all, the tenor of our faith is that God's distinctive greatness is revealed precisely in powerlessness. To show who he is, God consciously revealed himself in the powerlessness of Nazareth and Golgotha. Thus it is the one who can destroy the most, who is the most powerful. But on the contrary, the least power of love is already greater than the greatest power of destruction. The least power of love is already greater than the power of destruction. Now we know, of course, like all humans do, after Jesus' birth, he grew up, he grew in stature, he grew in physical strength. We know that he was a physical laborer. Her father was a carpenter, which probably meant for a season he was a carpenter. He probably was physically strong. But we say that Jesus is mighty God. We're saying something other than however much physical strength he had. We're saying there was a different power at work in him. Depending on how you read them or interpret them, Jesus' miracles are intended to demonstrate for us the power of God at work in Jesus. When he healed the sick, when he drove out demons, when he fed the hungry, when he calmed the storms, all were evidence 
that this is God in flesh. But unlike the ways that power is so frequently abused in our world to dominate, to destroy, to kill, Jesus never used power in that way. Jesus never used his power for personal gain. Always it fell in one of two categories or both. Either to demonstrate the power of God at work in him or and to meet specific needs people had. That they were sick or crippled or blind or deaf or hungry, whatever the case may be. Jesus' power always for the purposes of justice and compassion. Always to create rather than destroy. Never to manipulate. Never using a sword or a spear or riding in a chariot. Never to entertain people or his own amusement. Always to meet genuine needs. Always to reveal his spiritual authority. Always to demonstrate his oneness with God. In fact... Think about the stories of Jesus. Jesus seemed to as frequently deny using his power as to use it. Remember when the devil tempted him in the wilderness? And he said, no, I'm not going to use my power in those ways. Remember the number of times that people demanded a sign to prove who he was? He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was arrested, willingly turning himself over, he says... In Matthew 26, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Legions about a thousand. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to let you arrest me. I'm willing to let you put chains on me. But don't think for a second that I can't call 12,000 army angels to come and rescue me. But that's not the way Jesus used his power. I think sometimes we get confused between the God of Christianity and the Zeus of Greek mythology. Zeus often is depicted as this muscular male warrior God, often depicted holding a lightning bolt, always in the ever-ready position to just hurl it at the earth when anybody deserves it. How many times have we thought of God that way? You know, is God going to zap me, Right? Is lightning going to strike? Well, what God do you worship? That's not the image of the God of Jesus. That's the image of Zeus. Compare that image, the warrior God with the lightning in his hand to Jesus, born in a manger, living in poverty, at the end of his life, arrested and murdered. Jesus is the mighty God. That's exactly what we claim. One of those angels that Jesus might have called to his aid in Gethsemane was the angel Gabriel, who 33 years prior had visited his mother unexpectedly in Nazareth. One day, Mary had this appearance, a visit from Gabriel. And Gabriel said, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. He will rule over Jacob's house forever. And there will be no end to his kingdom. Did you catch the phrases in that? He will be great. Son of the Most High. Throne of his ancestor David. 
he will rule. There will be no end to his kingdom. Those are all ways that Gabriel is saying to Mary, this son, this this child, this Jesus is the mighty God. Now, undeniably, understandably, Mary had questions, wouldn't you? It didn't quite make sense to her how this could all work out. She's not married. She's very young. She's never had sex. How could this be possible? Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come over you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. In other words, God's might will accomplish this. I want you to put yourself in Mary's place for just a moment, if you're able. Imagine a very young woman hearing that God's own Son would grow within her. That it would happen because of the power of God. How could she possibly comprehend what kind of power could conceive a child? How could she possibly understand, comprehend the power that would grow within her for the next nine months? As she cared for Jesus, as she watched him grow up, playing with brothers and sisters, helping Joseph in the carpentry shop, how could she possibly have comprehended the power at work in that boy? And as she watched him die on the cross, might she have questioned the power of God? Might she have wondered just how powerful God actually is? If Mary might have questioned, and I'm not saying she did, just the possibility. If she questioned, I bet we will too. In a world of so much abuse of power, in a world where power is used to do so much harm, in a world where you and I sometimes fear, doubt, struggle, maybe we'll sometimes wonder, God, are you as powerful as you claim? The Latin American liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says, the Son of God was born into a little people, a nation of little importance by comparison to the great powers of the time. That is why many have trouble recognizing Jesus. The God who became flesh in Jesus is the hidden God of whom the prophets speak to us. In January, we're going to have a new series that we're calling Behind the Scenes. We're going to look at passages in the Bible that make no or little reference to God, and yet it's obvious in them that they're meant to imply that God is working behind the scenes, that as things are working out, it's because of the sovereign influence of God. We might ask ourselves from time to time, how do we know that God is working behind the scenes now? How do we trust that even when it looks like like death and destruction have ultimate power in this world, how do we know and trust that God is still a mighty God? Well, that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. That's where hope comes in. Trust that God is working, even when it isn't according to our timing, even when we don't see evidence right with our eyes. It's trusting and believing that God knows how to use God's power and that God will use God's power in God's perfect timing.
Maybe it's also good to be reminded of Gabriel's parting words to Mary. Nothing is impossible for God. That phrase appears over and over in the Bible, reassuring humans like you and I that God can do what God says God can do. That the power of God will not, cannot be restricted or blocked or inhibited or denied or coursed. That God's will will focus God's purposes, God's way, God's timing, and we can trust that. That the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, isn't finished working in this world yet. I don't know what's happening in your world. Like I, I talked about some things that are happening in the big world right now. But maybe there's some things that are happening in your life that are causing you to question, to doubt, to struggle, to fear. Dare we trust that the mighty God is working in the scene, behind the scenes of your life and mine, even now. Let's pray. So mighty God, Prince of Peace, Messiah, Jesus, will you deepen our faith? Will you reinforce our faith? Will you strengthen our faith to trust that all things are possible for you, that you are in the ongoing work of bringing your kingdom to the earth, that you have not stopped working and that you are working even now. Lord, we pray for the most vulnerable places of our world, the most broken places where there is so much death and destruction. Lord, we pray that you would intervene or even as you are already intervening, that you would intervene quickly. The violence and death would soon come to an end. And Lord, we pray for your kingdom of peace to come on the earth as it is in heaven. In our personal lives, in this church, in our community, in the world. May it be true in the season of Advent and all the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.